0: Uh, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of John, the eighth chapter. John chapter eight. When I was growing up, which wasn't too long ago, some of you would probably say I'm still growing up today. Uh, My friends and I would constantly, we would wrestle around and fight just, just in a playing around way. Now, at least most of the time it was playing around. There might have been a few occasions where it got serious and we were actually fighting, but most of the time we were just playing around. But when we would play around, either wrestling or fighting, there was something that we would do that would be common for us to do. Um, Whoever was winning the match, the way the person would quit hurting you would by them ask you one question Who's your daddy? Most of the time, what would happen is the recipient of the pain would first start off by saying, not you, you're not my daddy. And then after a few minutes, you would enforce a little more pain on that individual and you would ask him again, who's your daddy? And then after more pain was enforced upon them, they would finally come out and say, you, you, you're my daddy. And then that would be the way that you would stop wrestling. That, that's like waving the white flag and saying, I'm done. So you would qu- So we would quit. I am glad that my God does not put me in a headlock and ask me, who's my daddy? First, that would be a little bit awkward. Secondly, God knows all things. He, he is all things. So he already knows the answer to that. And along with that, God could beat the living tar out of me. You know, it's not like wrestling one of my buddies. I might have a chance against them. Against God, I'm done with. So as we turn to John chapter 8 this morning and we look at this passage, I do believe that Jesus is asking us a very similar question in today's day. A, a, A similar question to what we see In John chapter 8, I believe as we study this passage, we'll see Jesus asking the Pharisees and also us today, who is our father and are we following him? Now, the Pharisees, as we know, they 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 are the religious leaders of the day. They have all the rules. It's like that's what they want. They want the rules and they will follow the rules. They understand the rules. They understand the law. They they focus just on what they are doing in comparison to others. But in reality, Jesus does what to the law? He abolishes the law. He is the new law. So they are truly not following after God because all they are concerned about is following after a bunch of rules and regulations. It seems as if In our American culture, in our Christian American culture, we have some Pharisees today. Now, they might look a little bit different than what we see in John chapter 8. They think that they're in good standing with God because they attend a church or they do good things. They might not be committed to a church, and they know that they're not fully committed to God. But their lives aren't as bad as their neighbors. They're the people who are saying, hey, look at the way my neighbor's living. My life is much better. So as we open up our Bibles to John chapter 8, may our hearts be open to what God wants to say to us, that we, would, that we would finally, every single day, follow him and be faithful to him. Let's pray. God, may this time be edifying to our soul as you challenge us. God, a lot of times when truth is spoken, it hurts. Father, may it pierce our hearts. Because the Bible says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is living and active. And Father, it, it was living and active in the 930 service, and I know it is here. And we thank you for that. We thank you for giving us something that we can study together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's first start by reading verses 39 and 40 of John chapter 8. Now, Jesus had just asked them pretty much, hey, you know, who are you following? Who who is your father? And this is their response. They answered him. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. First point I want you to see today, and and I have four four points. Just want to let you know if you have one of the notes, it might say three points. I think someone was trying to cut my sermon a little bit short. They knew I was going to go too long. But there are four points this morning, and the first point that we see here is the truth of who you follow. I want us to ask ourselves this morning who are we following? Because Jesus always exposes the truth on who we are following and who we are putting our hope in. He will always expose that. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day, are trying to convince convince Jesus that they are followers of God. They're trying to say, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. We are actually followers of God. We, We are actually doing good things. We are actually following the law. We're doing what the law says. But in reality, they're not. And I've read many commentaries over this passage as I've studied. I have listened to many sermons over this passage as I have studied for this and it it baffles my mind that that a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians and a lot of commentators what they'll do is they will laugh at the Pharisees here I can't believe that they are they are questioning Jesus I can't believe that they are treating the king of kings like this and you know what it's funny that we we can sit here and we can laugh at the Pharisees uh, about how they're trying to fool Jesus into believing something that is not when In reality, many of us do the exact same thing. We try to fool Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior of this universe, knows where each and every one of us stand before God. He will not be fooled with where you stand before God. He can't be fooled. Ed Stetzer and Bill Hybels and other Christian researchers, conservative Christian researchers, they believe that most churches, the average church, is about 30% lost. Okay? I'm not good at math. Never been good at math. Probably will never be good at math. I don't plan on taking any more math classes. I took the one I needed to in college to graduate, and that was it. But if we have over 700 people coming in here on a Sunday morning, and if that statistic is right, even if it's anywhere between 10 to 30% of our people are lost, I don't know what that number is, but I know that number is way too large. Just one would be too large. And I think the reason is that there are so many people who attend church that think that they're right with God, but in reality are not, is because they are like the Pharisees. They're like, I attend church. Isn't that good enough? You know, I, I come at least every other week. I go, I go to Sunday school. That should be double good. Or maybe I do good works. You know, when the neighbors moved next door to me, I took them something to eat. And Now, now, now my non-Christian friends wouldn't do that. Well, some of them would. And they don't know Christ. See, our salvation does not rest on anything we have done or anything we are doing. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Our students learned this when they were studying the way of the master. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not result of works, so that no one may boast. The exposure of our sin and who we follow does not always happen as easy as it does here in John chapter eight. Just think about what's going on. Jesus comes out and tells them specifically, "You are not following after God." Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus told us where we were with God? Well, He does through His Word, but it's not as easy as what we see in John chapter eight. He doesn't come to us. Uh, he doesn't come to us. Uh, like he does in John 8, and say, okay, you're following after God, you're not. Like, that would make our life so much easier if Jesus came in and he said, okay, I want all the non-Christians to sit over here, and all the Christians to sit over here. Then we could portray, like, half of my message I could speak to this group, and the other half I could speak to that group, but he doesn't do that. See, if I was Jesus here in John chapter 8, which, good thing I'm not, okay, because I do stupid things, Jesus doesn't, but if I was Jesus, I would like come and lay the hammer down on them. I was like, you guys are fools to think that I am going to be fooled by you. I would come and I would bring the Mr. T out in myself. Pity the fool who's trying to fool me. Okay? but. That's not what Jesus does. He just comes and in a loving way, in a caring way, says, you know what? You guys are living an unrighteous life. You think that you are godly, but you're not because you are not following after God and you're not following after me. The truth of who we follow may be revealed to you now and it may be revealed to you later. But friends, don't You do not want to accept this reality too late. You don't want to accept the reality that you might not be a believer. You don't want to accept that too late. It would be great for Jesus to come to Mount Pleasant and be able to do that. Hey, you know, you need your life. You need your life. But you know what? We have this. This speaks to us and says, you are not a follower of Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus. You do not want to wait till that day that you meet God to find out that you're not a follower. I like the way R.C. Sproul puts it. He says, The only way for an unjust person to stand in the presence of a just and holy God is to be justified. Pretty much this the only way someone who doesn't know Christ to stand before God is you're going to be punished. Separation from God in eternity in hell. You don't want to wait too long. There needs to be an overwhelming urgency among believers today to share that gospel with others because there are many people who think they're on the right track towards heaven. But you know what? They're not. Do we truly want to know what Jesus would say to us if he were here right now? Francis Chan was talking to a buddy in... He asked, asked him, he said, do you truly want to know what Jesus would say to you? And he said, no. He said, you want to know why? Because then I would have no excuse on not to follow it. And then Francis Chan says back to him, you have no excuse on not to follow it right now. Because all we need is in God's word. I can't imagine what these Pharisees were thinking as they were talking to Jesus. Put yourselves in their shoes. They think they're doing everything right. They think they're following all the right rules. They think they're going through all the right standards. But in reality, Jesus comes to them and he tells them, you are not following anyone except for the devil. He's doing that same thing to some of us right now. Telling the truth about your life. The truth hurts. I think, I think, I think we think that the truth is going to be easy. No, the truth hurts. And the truth is hard to take. But the truth can usually be seen by the fruit in our lives. The Pharisees are claiming that they are children of Abraham. But their fruit and their lives are saying something else. In verse 39 it says, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. And you're not. Jesus is saying that we see the way that you live. We see how you're not obedient to God. We see this. Fruit's not coming out of your life. And because fruit's not coming out of your life, you are not a believer of Jesus Christ. You're not a believer in God. They were seeking to kill the Son of God, not to follow the Son of God. R.C. Sproul says this, True sonship, So if God is your father, true sonship is not defined by biology, but defined by obedience. If you are truly a son of God, if he is your father, if you're truly a daughter of God, and he is your father, it is seen by your obedience to him. And our fruit in our lives will show results of who we're putting our trust in. Which leads to point number two. The results of who you follow. The results of who you follow. Look at verses 41 through 43. You are doing what your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. If you're truly a believer of our Lord Jesus Christ, then there will be results from your life. There will be. For example, if we we're going to go to your workplace, if we we're going to go to a family gathering that you have, what do people say about you? If we were to go to your workplace and say, okay, I want you to define this person. Or go to to a family meeting and say, I want you to define this person. How would they define you? Is it possible that some would say that you're a good person? Or that you're extremely smart? Or that you make wise decisions? Maybe people could describe you time and time again, over and over again. And not even mention one thing about Christ. Not one thing. If your coworkers and peers believe that you have nothing to do with Christ, then what does that say about you? And I know I've heard it before, and you can you can argue with me all day long, and that's fine. I've heard people say before, but Joe, I'm not allowed to say anything about Christ in my workplace. If I say anything, I can lose my job. Well, you know what? You still can live it out. They still should be able to see Christ with the way that you live. And I also think even if it's against your workplace, God will give you opportunities and God will protect you and God will guide you. And you know what? You will be able to share the gospel. So we can't make these excuses. Do you think God is satisfied with our excuses on why there is not fruit in our lives? The people we work with should think that we have something that they don't have. There should be fruit in our lives. And I'm not saying that this is the determination of your salvation, but there's probably a good chance that some of us in here have no fruit in our lives. Our coworkers, our peers, our family doesn't see it. There's probably a good chance. There's a reason why. Because you don't know Christ. Matthew 10 verses 32 and 33 says this. So anyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let this sink in. Complete silence is a denying God. Complete silence is denying God. How so? Because there is the commandment of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If we're not making disciples, we are denying God. Part of the results you will have in your life is that you'll do what your father does. That's what verse 41 says. You're doing what your father did. You know, I, I've learned over the last couple of years as um, Alice and I have been married, she reminds me when we go home for vacation and stuff and we spend time with our family, uh, we always go out to dinner and she'll remind me that, you know, I do some of the same things my dad does. It's crazy. Like, I didn't believe it, but it, it I mean, like when I get frustrated, I, and you'll know when I'm frustrated now because I'm giving all this information now. When I get frustrated, I start rubbing my head and start doing this, okay? So when I get, we were at dinner the other night and something happened, I don't know, maybe one of my, maybe my nephew was like acting up or something. And I look across the table and my dad's rubbing his head. <laughs> I thought, you know what? I do what my father does, which isn't a bad thing because my, fa- my father is one of the most godly men I've ever met. But parents and grandparents, listen to this. of our students who attend church right now, 80% of them usually drop out of school or drop out of church after they graduate high school. And I don't think it takes a genius to figure out why. It's because they have been taught by their parents and their grandparents. And this is what happens. And please don't hear me wrong with this, but this is what tends to happen. When When they're in sports, it goes family, sports, God. When they're in school, it goes God, or or no, no, family, school, God. And what tends to happen is we are so concerned about them playing a college sport or them getting a GPA that's higher than a 4.0 that we totally forget about them being involved in God. And with the things of God. And the things that happen is, hey, you know what? They're not involved in the things of God. They don't read God's word. They spend more time with everything else than they do God. And guess what? When they go off to college, we expect them to start doing the things of God. That's wrong on our behalf because guess what? They are just acting like their parents. We have taught them that. God, family than everything else. I'm not against GPAs, but you know what? Your sole responsibility as a parent is to bring up a child of righteousness, men and women of righteousness. I'll tell you what, what they're learning in the school corporation is not gonna bring them closer to God, but the study of God's word will. Again, I'm not against that education. You will hear me tell our students all the time. They need to do their schoolwork. They need to do do good in school. They need to go off to college. You will hear me teach that to them all the time. But you know what also I'll be teaching? You better be putting God first. Because when when you go off to college, guess what? I want you in church. I want you following after God. And parents and grandparents, we are fools to think that they haven't learned it from somewhere. We must set that example. It's not a coincidence that I follow the actions of my father. It's the same way with Christianity. You can't but help act like you're the father that you're following. It just comes out. Part of the results that should be seen in our lives is that we should love like our father loves. First John chapter 4, verses 19 and following says this, There is no fear in love, but fear perfect love cast out all fear for fear has, has, has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because why? He first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he does not love his brother whom he uh, has, has seen. He cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is a commandment we have heard from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, the legalistic Pharisees here in John chapter 8, they didn't understand the characteristics of love like we see in 1 John 4. Let me be candid with you, people of God. I believe that this should be a verse that we read and we post somewhere that we see every single day about the way that we love one another. God has not called us to tear people down, but to rather build them up. And the way that we, we talk about one another can sometimes be so foolish. Some of the worst backbiting that goes on can be in our churches. And this is wrong. It's some of the most ungodly behavior that there is it goes on with Christians. And the way that we talk about one another. You know what? I truly believe, I truly believe that God has called us to love our brothers and sisters. And I've been in, church, I've been in churches all my life. I've been on staff for, in, in churches for the last 12 years. Believers, sometimes we should be ashamed the way we talk about one another. Look at what John says. If you claim to love God, you love your brothers and sisters. Let me even take it a step farther. There's a responsibility for us as Christians. When that is going on and we are, when we are hearing it, Matthew 18 says, if they are sinning and backbiting and talking ungodly about one another is sin when they are sinning, we are to confront them. Now, Galatians 5 says, use the fruits of the Spirit when you're doing that. Love, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, peace, patience. Use that when you're doing it. But if we allow one another to tear each other down, guess what? If we allow that to happen, we are just as bad as that other person because we're saying what you're doing is okay. And you know what, I know with the shadow of of a doubt, that if my God were to come down in the middle of an ungodly conversation, that God would correct it. God would correct it. Psalms 19, 14 says this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be what? Acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Acceptable in your sight. You know, there have been times in my previous church and other churches, I'd leave, leave a business meeting crying in tears. That should never happen. And the only reason I leave crying in tears is the way that I've heard this person talk about that person. You know what, people, God, it's not worth it. And the thing is, if we're following after God faithfully, that doesn't happen. So showing no characteristics of love, as we see here in this passage, means that you're not a believer. These people don't know how to love because they haven't trusted in Jesus. He did not come on his own accord, but he came from the Father. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we show God we love him by the way that we live and love others? Because not only are there results of who we follow, but there is proof. The results create the proof. Point number three, the proof of who you follow. Verses 44 and 45, and I promise you, I'll get going here. We'll speed up just a little bit. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. It has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no such truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. If you ever follow someone, there's proof that you're following them, because you do or support what they say. Think about this. If you're driving, have you ever had someone follow you as you're driving? Maybe you're going on a trip and you have too many people to fit in one car and you have two cars. Okay, I'm going straight. How do I know that the person behind me is following me? They go straight. If I turn right, how do I know that they're following me? They turn right. And then if I turn left, I know that they're following me because then... They turn left. When, what Jesus is saying here to these leaders, he's saying, hey, I'm going straight and you're turning right. You're not following me whatsoever. Actually, I'm going straight and you're going the opposite direction. You're not following me whatsoever. Is there a proof in your life that when Jesus turns that you are turning? Is there proof in your life that when Jesus changes direction, that you change your direction? Most of us, me included, we follow Jesus at times, but sometimes we just feel like it's too hard. If it was too hard for Jesus to die, or if it wasn't too hard for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, it shouldn't be too hard for us to die to ourselves daily, pick up our cross, and follow him. If he can die on a cross, a gruesome death. If that's not too hard, we can live for him daily. But it's not that the Pharisees thought that it was too hard. They weren't the ones who were complaining that it was too hard. They just blatantly disobeyed God. They thought what they were doing was good enough. Another example is if you're following someone then you're supportive of him or her, even when you disagree. First, we should never disagree with God, but some of us do. Have you ever had one of these arguments with God? I have them. God, why'd you do this? But you know what? I know when I argue with God, he's he's always right. That's one argument I never win. Because he has a perfect plan. But if we are truly following someone they were supportive no matter what. They hated him and they desired to kill him because they did what their father wanted them to do. I, I like what Pastor Curtis told me this week about this passage. He says, it's almost as if Jesus is going to the Pharisees and saying, Hey, look whose dad's stronger than yours. Your dad's the devil, your father's the devil. Look whose dad's stronger, mine is. Just thinking through this together. Look at the characteristics of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now, I don't know if that was when he was an angel. I don't know if that's when the earth was created, when when he started being a murderer. That's up for debate. Theologians say anything and everything about that. But this is what I do know. He killed Adam and Eve with his deception of sin. Although it was their choice, they were deceived. When he lies, in verse 44, he speaks out of his own character. The Pharisees, they lie just like their father lies and deceives others. They're they're even lying at this point when they're telling Jesus, hey, we are followers of God. I wonder how many of us lie saying that we're followers of God when in reality we aren't. Maybe when we even, maybe we even deceive ourselves. Maybe when you came into the church this morning, you you didn't know what you were gonna hear. And as you hear this, you're like, maybe I'm not a follower. Maybe you've done deceived yourself. If there's no proof that, you are not, uh, that you're a believer, I, I tell the students all the time, I tell you this, if there's no fruit in your life that you're a believer, no fruit whatsoever, then you're not. Some people say, hey, that's harsh. You know what? I would much rather have a pastor tell me the truth because that shows that he loves me rather than someone who's going to sugarcoat it. Because if you just sugarcoat it and you let them think that they are right with God and in reality they're not, they might spend eternity somewhere else. There's a, there's a decision for us today. A decision to follow the one who has given us life. The one who has given life to the lifeless, hope to the hopeless, and peace to the peaceless. That's the fourth point. The decision of who you follow. Verses 46 and 47. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus, what a great, he always uses like um, these these questions, Socratic questioning. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I, I can just imagine the silence there. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Today, we all have an opportunity to follow Jesus more faithfully and be more obedient than we ever have before. What's going to be your decision? Say we can, we, you know, we, we can't convict Jesus of his sin because he has no sin. He's sinless. And if we don't believe that he is perfect, if we don't believe that he is the the Christ, we're not greater. And as the video said earlier, we are going to teach and we are going to preach that Christ was born, he lived, he died, and he was resurrected, and there are no apologies for preaching that. I want to see all people Young people, old people, middle-aged people, white people, black people, Asians, Hispanics, you name it. I want to see all people live their lives completely after God and God's own heart. And if you are truly one of God's people, you will hear, you will listen, and you will follow. There are those of you in here today who have probably never heard him and never followed him because you're not of him. Verse 47 says this, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Don't waste your lives on anything else on this earth that really means nothing for eternity, but start living your lives for the glory of God. We all need to make a decision today to follow Christ You know, believers, we had many believers who came down forward in the 930 service and said, you know what, I just want to live my life for God. I want my my kids to start seeing the reflection of Jesus when they look at me. We had others who came down forward and said, I just want to know Christ. I've been fooling myself my entire life, but I just want to know him. I want to make sure I have a right relationship with him. We all have a decision to make. And I pray that as you, as you examine your own hearts and as you've heard God's word, I pray that we would would not be embarrassed by what God wants us to do this morning. There are some people in here today who probably have been attending church for a very long time and they think, you know what? There, There are people in this church who think that I'm a believer, but in reality, I'm not. I don't want to walk forward because I don't want them to think bad about me. Get this, the people of this church would rejoice in you coming forward and saying, I need Christ. Yeah, you might have confused some of them, But you know what? They would rejoice in knowing that you actually right now do have a perfect relationship with him. A holy relationship with him.